0: Welcome to Masterminds and Maintenance, a podcast for those with new ideas and maintenance. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. Each week, I'll be meeting with a guest who's had an idea for how to shake things up in the maintenance and reliability industry. Sometimes the idea failed. Sometimes it made their business more successful. And other times, their idea revolutionized an entire industry. Today, I'm so excited to have the CEO of Reliability Center, Inc. on the show, Bob Latino. Bob is an internationally recognized author, trainer, software developer, lecturer, and practitioner of best practices in the field of reliability engineering, and more specifically, root cause analysis and investigation management. You've got tons of experience, Bob, and I'm so excited to chat with you today. You know, I know that you've been working on, you know, root cause analysis, failure modes effects analysis with your clients around the world for over 35 years. I know that you've taught over 10,000 students, in the the Root Cause proact methodology. I'm super excited. Welcome to our show, Bob.
1: I really appreciate you having me and uh, I hope I live up to all that stuff you just said.
0: (laughs) Of course, of course you will, and a whole lot more, Bob. Um, You know, I know you pretty well. Uh, We've been following each other for quite some time, but you know, I would love for you to give a quick background behind yourself and and, um, your story to all of our listeners today.
1: All right, it goes back quite a ways. Uh, the, w- we were established in 1972 as a research and development group of a company called Allied Chemical at the time, which was a, a global chemical company, which more, more commonly known as Honeywell today oh. through acquisitions. And uh, what the what we were founded on is the basis of equipment process and human reliability and taking the principles from aviation and moving them into a manufacturing plant. So I think just thinking about that, that that was 1972. And you look at people trying to get reliability started today, and it's—you uh, know—it's—it's a, it's a challenge. But this—this—this this was a functional, uh, full department, roles and responsibilities, uh, set up reliability departments at about 300 plants around the world at that time. So uh, you know. That 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 was where the R and D was uh, chartered against, and in 1985, the founder and uh, director of that group decided to retire, and he purchased his group out of the corporation. Mm-hmm. Now it's a huge coincidence that that fellow's name was Charles Latino, which will answer will answer your next question about how did I get into reliability and uh, maintenance. <laughs> So uh, my my father is the one who uh, directed and founded that group, and he purchased it, and then uh, the intellectual property conveyed, and we were able to take those principles and apply them to any industry that we wanted to. Wow.
0: What an awesome story. Um, I also, I've heard quite a few times that the the core fundamentals of reliability stemmed from aviation. I'd love to learn more about what that was like and how you're able to take the learnings from aviation and bring it into manufacturing.
1: Well, you know, from his standpoint, he he always had a fascination with uh, aviation and the reliability that they were achieving even, you know, nearly 50 years ago with that. And, you know, he was the head of uh, engineering and maintenance at a uh, chemical plant that had, uh, in this area, at that time, about five thousand people. So, and he he could he couldn't uh, sustain the same amount of reliability as aviation was. So that's what intrigued him into doing the research into that area, and and then using his plant here, his plants here, as a uh, as a lab for you know as a lab for himself to go ahead and take preventive, predictive, and uh, all of the uh, the technologies that were available back then. You know, uh, and it's, it's on our website that the, if you're into a nostalgia is that they, I mean, they were doing the vibration, the infrared, the eddy current testing. Uh, they were one of the first ones to use, uh, doing operator rounds and, uh, with data recorders, handheld data recorders and, and going around. They, there was not a CMMS way back then. They, they created their own, they coded their own. Wow. Uh, they had their own lubrication management software, uh, back then. So you know, they, they were really way ahead of their time. And that was, uh, you know, 47 years ago-ish.
0: Wow. wow. So 47 year, years later, you're still doing this, Bob, going strong. You, you've, um, you, you definitely are a big leader in this space. And I know that one of the things that you're very, very passionate about is root cause analysis. I'm curious, you know, how did that become your core focus or one of your core focuses? And what are you excited by?
1: Well, a lot of that revolves uh, when you get into the the, the the area of reliability and what you think reliability is. You know, to me, I, I consider myself, I grew up in University of Reliability because it wasn't just a uh, job for my father. It was a way of life. Yeah. So uh, he built, uh, he had reliability in design and, and the, uh, the features of his house. So you know, <laughs> re, re, it's not, no no kidding. The, yeah. Uh, so I mean, I, I grew up with uh, the difference with understanding proaction versus reaction, and that's that's really what reliability was to me. What I, what I was taught was that uh, you know you if you proact effectively, you don't have to uh, to better catch the the consequences of those actions. So if I'm uh, you know a lot of people try to get to failure. Uh, with prediction and getting to a failure quicker you get it in an earlier state and you mitigate the consequences Mm -hmm. but really uh, what we would we focus on is you know why was whatever you were tracking whatever signal why did it go out of alarm limits in the first place yeah why did I need to detect it so if you focused on the risk side you would be a lot better at the consequence side you would be at not having the consequences yeah. so i think uh, a lot of this revolves around uh, you know the, the proaction versus reaction and I, I do want to tell a quick story because back back then when nobody ever heard of reliability and it's it's new in this big chemical conglomerate that they didn't know where to put it on the organizational chart so they so initially what they did was they made it subordinate to maintenance and my father rejected the idea on the basis he says well maintenance are today people and reliability is tomorrow people. And yeah. he says, if, if you put a, uh, re- uh, a proactive function underneath a reactive function, it'll never get to do the proactive activities yeah. because you'll fall a, a slave to the, the reactive nature of the field.
0: Yeah. Maybe a quick question there. This has been brought up a few times. Do you think maintenance and reliability should be under the same department?
1: Well, again, I think they need to be isolated from each other in the yeah. sense that uh, one's, one's proactive, one's reactive. Yeah. You know, one's, one's shorter term uh, for, you know, what am I going to deal with the here and now? And, and, you know, maybe the next week and the next uh, uh, couple weeks. But then your reliability is looking out months and years ahead of time. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're, if you are like, you know, I've uh, been in the business long enough where you have maintenance engineers who were subjected to a, a new vice president that comes in and says, well, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have reliability now. So they changed the name of the maintenance department to reliability department, but they don't change the function. So if I'm a, yeah, so if I'm a maintenance engineer and, uh, you know, and the uh, operations is, you know, I, I'm doing reliability stuff and they don't care. <laughs> so I, I, need, I need the person to deal with my issues right now, today. So yeah. changing, changing the title didn't solve the problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, Bob, we'd love to chat a little bit about root cause analysis. Maybe, could you walk us through how to perform a root cause analysis the right way?
1: Well, the, the, uh, the methodology that we espouse, I'm just going to go through it because the, it's the, if you look at any investigative occupation, all the steps are the same. So whether a, somebody's method of RCA uh, meets the criteria or not, that, that, that's up to, uh, that's subjective. But when you look at the, uh, the, the steps and the, the PR of um, preserving evidence, uh, PR of proactive is preserving evidence, and you look at any, I don't care, NCIS, pick any of your favorite crime shows, and, uh, you know, what, what's step one is you go out there and you, you collect, you, you cordon off the area and you preserve evidence. Uh, the The second portion of that is the uh, organizing of the team. You know, w- what are the characteristics of roles and responsibility of team members? Because certainly bias can can have a play in an analysis. Yeah. If I if I have something to gain or lose by the analysis the results, I shouldn't be leading it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just common sense.
0: <laughs> Who has a motive? Well, I'm thinking back to the uh, crime
1: show. <laughs> right. But I mean, it, it, it's it's uh, you know that that's when. It happens all the time, though. I mean, you, you've been in this business a while and you see that when an RCA, uh, when, when there's a need for an RCA, what they do is they find the person most familiar with that particular equipment, who's the expert. And then, uh, you know, the, the expert really has to go through the uh, formalities because he really don't want a team anyway. He or she doesn't really want a team. And, uh, you know, he's, they, and everybody's intimidated by him because they're, they're, stu- they're scared to ask the stupid question and he don't want to hear it. So, uh, but, you know, you got to get away from that. And then the A is the analyzing of the event with uh, the team that I have. And that, to us, is the most important part. And it's mo- what most people consider RCA to be. But you have to be- have a graphical expression, a graphical reconstruction of what happened. And you have to go, you know, this follows basically scientific method. A, you got to come up with hypotheses. You have to have uh, verifications for those po- uh, hypotheses, and you just keep drilling down on what's true. Uh, one of the uniquenesses is, is the the questioning from the facts. Is you keep asking how could? Yeah. Think about think about the difference between asking how could and why, because uh, there there's a there's a, a, a large population that believes that the that root cause analysis is consistent with the application of five whys. Yeah. But if I say, how can a crime occur versus why a crime occurs, they're very different answers.
0: Interesting. I never thought about it that way.
1: Well, think about, and and later in these questions, I know we're going to come across the difference between the physical sciences, uh, the physics of failure, and the social sciences, which is, you know, it gets into the soft stuff about humans and how they make decisions. Yeah. But the when you're going through the physics, not much changes changes in physics. So when I go through, you know, how can a bearing fail? There's only so many answers to that question. Okay. So when I'm going through that, asking how could is appropriate, and then using like your metallurgical analysis to determine whether, uh, you know, what's true and what's not true. But eventually, you're going to come across a human that made a, an error of omission or commission that they did. Mm-hmm. They made a decision to do something they should have done or they should have done something and didn't do it. So uh, that's when you start switching over. Uh, you know, and a lot of people end their analysis there and blame somebody. Yeah. But if you've done that, you really, that really should be the beginning of your investigation, not the end of it, uh, because uh, you, you'll, you won't get anybody participating in future RCAs if you're using it as a weapon to, yeah. to point out, you know, that somebody did something wrong. The, the, the real gold in that comes from, you know, why did that person that day think it was the right thing to do? Yeah, That's what a progressive organization would want out of their RCA system. And that gets into the soft stuff of understanding the, the systems that people depend on, because uh, I know you're in the, the CMS business and you, and you sit there and you look at all of the systems that are lacking, and, you know, we, we didn't, uh, we, we have new technology, but we didn't implement any uh, uh, SOPs to support it,
0: mm-hmm. or I
1: didn't provide anybody training when we did do that, or what I do have in place is obsolete and a well-intentioned person followed an obsolete procedure, and then we're going to go ahead and just discipline him and hope that it goes away. Yeah. So a lot of this uh, gets down into past the decision maker and into the, uh, the, the, the reasoning, yeah. And then moving on to your original question as I can completely get off the tracks, is that the C the C in Pro act after that is about communicating findings and recommendations because half of the headaches are just solving the, the failure. But then the other half is getting something done about it. And this is where uh, you know great tools like yours come into play because now I'm going to have to come up with the recommendations. Uh, you know, it, it can't be a checklist item and say, just because I have a recommendation that it worked. Yeah. So, so the T in Act is about tracking for bottom line performance. It's really the measure of effectiveness. Yeah. What, what is, where, where are the ROIs that said that, you know, I, I, I utilized all this talent and resources to do an RCA. what I get for it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's a very common thing that people forget. It's not just an analysis just to do an analysis it's to do an analysis to ultimately take action to prevent that from happening again.
1: Well, oh. and, and, and even even the bigger picture for a, a more progressive organization is the, the is that you're building an internal knowledge base. Yeah. If you if you have an RCA knowledge base and you use it properly, it, it's all you know. That all can be searchable to find out. You know, when you have you're, you're solving the same thing over and over again just because people don't know you, somebody else has done it. Hmm. Or you're taking uh, logic, you know, for people that, uh, that do the RCA's, you, you might have uh, an engineer at one location that's like a, a materials engineer where you don't have it at another location so that they wouldn't know the questions that people have a- answered before. Yeah.
0: What do you think most people get wrong about doing a root
1: cause analysis? I think they use it as a checklist item. They want to get regulatory drivers off their back. They want to get their bosses off their back. So they use a lot of fancy words and check boxes and say, you know, this really looks good, but it, you know, and it and it meets whatever criteria, but nobody ever goes to track whether it was effective. Yeah,
0: yeah. So how do you know when to run a root cause analysis? When is it the right time to do it?
1: Well, the, you know, the 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 real answer is that any organization is going to have triggers. Uh, thresholds in which they're going to conduct an RCA and they're usually based on regulatory drivers okay you know, so somebody had to be hurt to a, a recordable level uh, we had a certain amount of dollar loss of production I had equipment damage in excess of a hundred thousand or whatever the case may be what what I would like to see happen you know in my unicorn world is that this that you have uh, that RCA is unfortunately they, they really need a. Uh, they, they need a, a PR makeover, because they're always they're associated with everything negative. And that, that's, well, I mean that's because of, you know, I work in hospitals. It's funny because if if uh, and they if they know what you do, you're not there for good news. So it's like people close doors when you come down the hallway,
0: yeah. <laughs> because
1: you're you're not there to say great job.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's but, almost like a, the the weapon that you're talking about.
1: But the reality is that root cause analysis, properly applied, could be done proactively. Mm-hmm. The only—it's unfortunate that the only, re- the only reason we implement the thought process is because the trigger has already happened, so the the consequence has already occurred. As opposed to you—you you mentioned FMEA earlier, which is the failure modes and effects analysis, and you know that what—that's a proactive tool. Yeah. so that's that's essentially a risk assessment that's uh, you know uh, the probability times the severity of something happening equals criticality mm-hmm. if you did a, if you did a Pareto cut of that type of analysis you'd find that twenty percent or less of the failure modes account for eighty percent or more of the risk yeah so there's no reason you can't do an RCA where it starts off with unacceptable risk of X yeah. Because the thought the thought process going through the how can questioning, you're just now you're just saying how, how can the risk be so high? Yeah. So Absolutely. you'd be you'd be mitigating risk in that sense and preventing consequence.
0: Right. And I think that 80 20 percent rule is actually really, really important when you're figuring out, okay, what do we what do we choose to run an RCA on? Right. Um, so you mentioned safety and you mentioned like, you know, hey, we run So oftentimes, people run an RCA when there's a safety incident. What's the difference between running a safety investigation and an RCA or a root cause analysis? Is there one?
1: Yeah, there there is, and there's all sorts of uh, qualifiers about dictionaries and words that you use here because there's a you know safety. There's traditional safety, and then there's there's a whole other progressive movement. Uh, called safety differently, which is you know looks claims to make uh, safety look different than the traditionalist. I, I can tell you from the traditionalist standpoint, uh, they essentially uh, uh, they, they define RCA as consistent with the principles of the five whys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, five wise is very predominant. It has its place. Uh, I personally don't consider it as root cause analysis as, as, a, as a qualified tool. Okay. And think of, if you think about that, the reason that I'll say, I'll back that up, is that uh, it, it uh, gives people the impression that failure happens linearly and it doesn't. Think about the difference in asking why and how could how could. How could has a lot more possibilities, mm-hmm. right? as opposed to if I'm going to why it's very limiting yeah and, and it's and it's leading and and also it uh, gives people the impression that there's one root cause so uh, I've been doing this for 30 some years hundred uh, hundreds if not thousands of analyses I've never had one have one root cause you know <laughs> I don't know where even five whys came from why why is it not three whys 10 whys I have no idea <laughs> Uh, yeah. But but it's, but it's good marketing, I guess, huh?
0: Yeah, it's good marketing, right? <laughs> Everyone knows it.
1: So well, I'm, it it came out of Toyota, and it was meant for individuals on an assembly line to to huh? look at, so, you know, to peel the yeah. onion a little deeper with things that they faced individually. Yeah. So it was it was not a tool meant for complex type of failures.
0: Right. Right. I mean, I understand the five whys and the linear progression because it's much more succinct, right? You, you try to find a root cause, um, but asking, you right, the question, how could, that's very broad. And yes. I'm imagining it takes a lot more time to try to answer that question, how could, how could.
1: Absolutely. I mean, do you, do you want to be quick or do you want to be right? I that's mean... Because oh. if if there if there say there was actually ten root causes associated with an incident, and you found one, then yeah. all you're going to do is get real really good at doing the same thing over and over again.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how does that relate to a safety investigation then?
1: Well, so safety has a, uh, a, a notorious reputation for when when a, when a safety incident occurs. Step one is the organization, especially if it's a serious injury or something like that, the organization is going to, uh, step one is going to go check all of their paperwork and say, do we have policies and procedures in here that, that people should have adhered to? Yeah. And once they find out that they're covered, then they're going to go, step two is find out who broke our rules <laughs> and then discipline that person. You know, it's, it's the assignment of blame. So, you know, the reality of the difference between I would the way I would perform RCA, which takes, you know, I can easily do on safety events because the thinking, the thought process is the same, is that you don't stop with the blame, is that you you delve deeper into the reasoning and you get into the head of that person. That, that's how they feed their family. Uh, you know, they, they didn't say, I'm going to come to work today and screw up everything and then, you know, ha ha. You know, what made them think that that was the right thing to do that day? That, that's really what a progressive management should be interested in. And they, they should actually reject RCAs that don't get to that depth. Yeah. Because they're not complete.
0: I love the attitude, Bob, and I think that really shines a good light on our industry and take away this blame game and move it more towards, like you keep mentioning, a progressive environment, something that's supportive of the team and really tries to understand, you know, I'm going to say it, the, the why behind the actions, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe the, the how could behind the actions. <laughs>
1: Uh, You know, I think it's where where people get uncomfortable because, you know, I I don't know whether it's unique or not. To us, it's unique that our form of RCA, the way that we see it, the way that we define it, couples the physics involved with a failure uh, as well as the social sciences. And with that, you know, engineers are great at the physics side. Yeah. But you get them down into the soft stuff, and they're lost. Yeah. And, and there is there is a unique skill to those involved with human performance and human and organizational performance, of being able to do the the um, the questioning in a much uh, more effective manner than the you know the directness and bluntness of engineers. But yeah. conversely, what's missing in safety is that the it's it's the opposite. It's that you know if you have a bunch of social scientist type folks who are good with the human. They're lost in the physics of the failure. That mm-hmm. they don't even really want to even deal with that side because in their cases, you know, they're starting with the human and and trying to figure out the you know why the how their day was going and you know what led up to whatever the bad outcome was. Yeah. But if if you ask them to look at a bearing, they're going to say it's round. You know, <laughs> Bob, can you can you walk? Do you
0: have any examples of like? you know, a time where you ran a root cause analysis, could you walk us through an example uh, and, and something, uh, an interesting insight that you're able to find coming out of this root cause analysis?
1: I, uh, I don't know, without getting into uh, something that's gonna be boring with people that I can't show pictures and stuff to, I'll just go through a very easy scenario and, and I'll say that, you know, say, say that we had a, a production, a significant production outage. And I'm going through the, uh, you know, I, I know that a pump failed. Okay. So that's kind of like the, when you go to the crime scene and you put the crime scene tape around there, you know, just like what we do, it, it, you know, whatever's inside the, that tape is, are the facts. And, and our job is to explain the facts. How, how did they come mm-hmm. to be? So I, I get into it and I, I know that a particular bearing has failed within this pump. And my question becomes, how can a bearing fail? Yeah. Now you can have a bunch of engineers on your team, but the, the thought process is that in reconstruction is that you're going backwards in short increments of time and you're, in, you're, you're actually visually watching this happen. So if I ask you, how can a bearing fail most people are going to say, well, you know, uh, it was a bad bearing. Uh, it, was, it was lubrication. The lubrication people screwed it up. Uh, you know, we didn't install it right. Uh, it's, it's going to be all of these things that could, be, that could happen. Yeah. But the answer to that question, the way that I've posed it, there's only four ways a mechanical component can fail. It's erosion, corrosion, fatigue, and overload. Mm-hmm. So when you have the failed part and you have a metallurgist look at it, they're going to tell you by reading the surface, which it is. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So say they come back and the majority of times that they are fatigued and you would say, well, how can I have a fatigue bearing? Mm -hmm. It could be mechanical fatigue or it could be thermal fatigue. Mm -hmm. Well, what did, what did my bearing tell me? Say it's mechanical fatigue. Okay. I, I continue following what's true. How can I have mechanical fatigue? Yeah. Well, uh, the only way I can have that is uh, imbalance, uh, resonance, and misalignment, right? So when I, when I go through that and I say, well, you know, well, all of these are, have to have the evidence from the scene to prove uh, whether they did or didn't happen. And we determined that the person who was aligning didn't have the skills to align. They, they weren't aligning properly from the beginning. Now, a lot of people can end up there and say, well, I'm going to discipline that person for not aligning properly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what, what I think of when I see things like that, and especially with my work in hospitals, when you have people that are not, are deemed not qualified to be in the position, Yeah. well, where's where the managerial oversight? Who allowed somebody to be in a position that wasn't qualified to be in the position? Yeah. So when I get down and I'm, I'm saying, well, you know, well, why would somebody not align properly? Well, one, they didn't know how. Yeah. Two, they were put in the position and allowed to be in the position by oversight. And, and this, you know, you know this that this ha- this typically does happen with attrition when somebody leaves. And then they just give the role, Lu- lubrication's infamous for that, you know. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's deemed as a perfunctory duty, and you know, there's not a lot of science to it. So just give him the can and the route, and say go ahead. <laughs> and it's you know, it's that simple. But the you know the uh, the same goes with imbalance or I mean uh, misalignment. And we want to understand. Uh, you know, they didn't have the right tools to do it. They weren't taught how to do it, and they were put in a position uh, where they sh- uh, shouldn't have been. So that, that, that gets into what we call the latent true causes, which are the systems-oriented issues that need to be address, addressed, but led to that decision. Now, in that very simple example, if I'd have disciplined the person for the decision, does the problem go away? Nope. If I'd have just replaced the bearing, does the problem go away? No. Because unless you unless you address those systems issues that are influencing the decision makers it's going to come back and and that guy may if you discipline him it may him or her uh, that may not happen with them again but it'll certainly systems aren't made for one person Mm -hmm. it'll come up with somebody else yeah and then you just keep doing the same thing
0: well bob that was extremely insightful you didn't put me to sleep don't worry about that (laughs) i felt like that was extremely helpful to just walk through that 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 Um, decision-making process when you're asking the how could's how could's um,
1: when you get to when you get to the when you, you ask how could do you get to the decision maker then you switch to why yeah
0: yeah well thank you so much for that Bob that was again very very insightful curious what's something you wish more people knew about the maintenance and reliability
1: industry well, I had an interesting. Uh, I've been hanging out in the safety world for the last two years, and uh, it, it was it's been an enlightening experience for me <laughs> of what Why their that? what their perceptions are of reliability. And I can tell you uh, with with sound uh, faith that the the reliability field outside of our bubble is <laughs> is viewed as a component based field they think that we are a field of broken stuff
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, they don't think that we address uh, anything uh, human wise or systems wise that uh, systems thinking is not employed in in this field and i was even called out on it once I, I kept defending reliability and referring to it as holistic reliability when you look at equipment process and human and that's just because that's the way that i was raised Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found out. I found through this exercise that not everybody, th- these other people, were right because that all they did was direct me to Wikipedia. <laughs> and when you look up reliability, <laughs> and yeah. it is a it is a component based definition. And uh, you know, I I had to eat that one. But uh, you, that, they they that gave that was an epiphany for me yeah. that the outside world just sees us as mechanical type people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I truly believe from from you in this conversation, you and you view reliability so much more than just a single component. You, you brought it home to you too.
1: <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. I mean,
1: it's not, it's not something that you just turn off. It's a way of thinking yeah. that, uh, is, it's, uh, you know, it's your lifestyle. It's, it's not your job.
0: All right. I love that, Bob. Um, so I'm curious, where, where do you go for, for additional resources to continue learning, to get better in this space and field?
1: Uh, a good therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding) <laughs> uh, You know, like I said, I, I like to go out uh, outside of my circles to, to become uncomfortable. And I, uh, where I see areas that are emerging, uh, at least that are of interest to me personally, the, the, the AI related to RCA mm-hmm. and, uh, and utilizing that RCA database of logic uh, to be able to uh, better predict and trend the, uh, you know, the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the utilization, and to that point, the utilization, because we have, we have templates that we build into our, our offerings, our solutions, uh, these RCA templates that that focus on you know just like I said with erosion corrosion fatigue and overload we, we have them related to m- mechanical electrical safety all that kind of stuff but th- the the constructs of those are what will feed an AI algorithm yeah so I, I can foresee that type of thing uh, growing uh, with as the industry progresses all right. and and the, my last one is just the, the neuroscience aspect of under, understanding. That's a fancy word for uh, human reasoning and, and, and just, just understanding why people do what they do. I think we need more of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think it goes back to your view of a holistic field and industry. Um, Bob, can you share with our listeners all the ways, the different ways that they can connect with you and follow you on, on your journey?
1: Well, I I don't uh i probably I'm nowhere near connected as you young folk, but uh, I am pretty heavily involved on the on the LinkedIn uh, uh, forums. I I I do write a lot on there. Uh, you know, from our standpoint of uh, you know you're early in the game with reliability when you you've got the domain of reliability.com. <laughs>
0: Well, that must be a good domain to have. Um, Bob, thank you so much for joining us. I learned a ton personally. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's Masterminds and Maintenance. My name is Ryan Chan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can connect with me as well on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active, pretty fun. Or, or you can also email me directly. My email is ryan at onupkeep.com. Thanks so much. And until next time. Thanks again, Bob.
1: Thank you, Ryan.